You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Wait. You thought you could give the gift of God with money? Oh, man. If you knew the gift of God. See, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly love who does not change like shifting shadows. He gave us the gracious gift of breath. He gave us eternal life, not death. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit and he gave each of us a special gift from God and asks us to share it. You have this gift, you have that gift. The gift of serving or maybe a smile. Walking with a friend that extra mile. Maybe it's making a meal or fixing a friend's floor because they can't kneel. Maybe driving a bus or a fifth wheel. Maybe your gift is teaching a class or going to cut your neighbor's grass. Whatever it is, thanks be to God for his goodness and gifts. Because maybe his gift to the world today isn't from a place far away. Maybe his gift to the world today is you. We've done something a little unusual this season by taking a song and connecting it to a passage that uh, is the Matthew Christmas story, the story of the Magi, and then a song written 165 years ago by John Henry Hopkins, a man, by the way, who was a brilliant man. He, he was an attorney, he was a theologian, he was a musician, he was an educator, he was a seminary president. I mean, the guy just did everything. But one weekend, we are told, or one week right before the holidays, he wrote a song for his congregation to sing at the holidays. Now, don't ever expect that from me. It won't happen. But this guy did this, and it's become a lasting Christmas carol. We've taken it this year, and we've used the five verses to do the five weeks of our study. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel far. Now, let me explain to you John Henry Hopkins' plan for this carol. He thought that everybody should sing. Everybody in the church should sing verse 1. But then, when you got to verse 2, it should be sung by one man. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I give to crown him again. So one man should sing about his gift. And then, verse 3, another single gentleman, frankincense to offer have I. And then myrrh, again, one man. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume. And then lastly, glorious now, behold him arise. Now those last two verses you don't get unless you look at them together. So let me show them to you. Two weeks ago, we studied verse 4. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom. 
sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. So you, you leave Jesus in the, in the grave in verse 4. Now, in verse 5, he believed that the whole congregation should sing together. And of course, you know the words, we just sang them. Glorious now, behold him arise. So verse 4, he's in the tomb. Verse 5, he comes back from the dead. I think we should sing verse 4 on Good Friday and verse 5 on Easter. In fact, don't be surprised if we do that this year. King and God and sacrifice. Don't miss that. That's what verses 2, 3, and 4 are. King, gold. God, frankincense. Sacrifice, myrrh. So you've just reviewed verses 2, 3, and 4. Alleluia, alleluia sounds through the earth and skies. What a beautiful hymn. I mean, it's so well put together, and I've never really taken time to understand it. But when you lay it alongside Matthew chapter 2, you learn some incredible things. And I hope that you have during this season. And, and today, one more, not a very simple message today, where we say, what is it as the Magi leave and go back home, and we never hear from them again in Scripture, never mentioned again, what is it we could learn from them for the coming year 2023? So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, take your sermon notes. Uh, those of you who like the paper ones, they're outside each of the various locations, uh, paper, or you can use your phone or your tablet, whatever, and follow along that way. As you are preparing, let me just say, first of all, welcome. You've already been welcome, but welcome and happy new year to you. So good to see you all. This is probably the crowd that didn't stay up to see the new year come in. Uh, I didn't. I never do. So uh, that's not a surprise, but so good to have you here. I didn't know if I'd be preaching like to myself at first service today. Uh, through COVID, you know, I sat here and nobody in the room and I preached so we could have it online, and that wasn't fun. So I was hoping I didn't have to do that. So thanks for coming today. It means a lot to me. Secondly, a couple of things I want you to know. Number one is in two weeks, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we have midweek classes beginning. There are some really excellent classes being offered. If you haven't looked at them yet, just get online, and you can sign up for the one that's most helpful to you. Uh, the other thing I want to share is that next Sunday we go back to the book of Romans, and we'll be there for most of the year. Now, we're going to take a little few short series to break it up, but we'll be in Romans most of the year. I, I don't want to just read it. I don't want to just preach it. I want it to live in me. I, I want to be a part of it. So I put together for myself a reading plan. And then I thought, well, maybe I should just provide it for you. So starting tomorrow morning, there is a reading plan, a Romans reading plan that goes for just 90 days, January, February, March, and we'll decide it in March if we want to continue it through the next quarter or not, but it's a reading plan that helps you prepare it. Mostly it's like one, two, or three verses a day you read, and it's preparing for the coming message. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you read just a verse or a few. Then on Saturday, you read the whole text for Sunday, and then Sunday there's no reading since you'll be here. Uh, you'll be in worship. So if you'd like to be a part of this reading plan, you just go to either your phone app or your, uh, your computer when you get home, and you just go to events, and you choose Romans reading plan, and then this screen will come up, and it gives you two options. You can download the plan here, and then you can just print it. Let me circle that there. Or you can uh, actually sign up for a daily email. 
And every day you'll receive the scriptures by email at 5 a.m. and we expect you to be up waiting for it. Uh, you can read it anytime during the day you want, but we'll send it to you every morning at 5 a.m. and you can read the text for the day and that would be Monday through Saturday email and then of course nothing on Sunday. Uh, all you have to do is click that link and you go fill in your name and your email, check this little box which will not affect any of your other uh, uh, newsletters, whatever you signed up for, but just check this box and uh, you can receive that. And we'll again do it first quarter and see how it works. Okay, there are two things we've learned in this series that I want to kind of remind you of. The first is just very simple. The first Christmas was all about giving, whether it was the angels or the shepherds or the wise men who are famous for the giving. It's just all about giving. And many of you have said this season that you've kind of changed your language at home from getting to giving and how much it's impacted. And I, I, I hope so. I hope these messages can be practical. But it's all based on one gift, the gift that we read about already just a few moments ago, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So any gift that we give as Christians are based, is based on just God's gift to us. Secondly, our Christmas can be much more meaningful. Now I'm gonna stop right here because Christmas is over. I'm gonna strike the word Christmas and let's just insert the word our new year. Our new year can be much more meaningful when we change the focus from receiving to giving. And that's, that's my suggestion to you, just all year long, focus more on giving than on getting. Okay, we've been in this series now, this is the fifth week, let me review quickly with you what we've learned. The first week we learned that God set the standard for giving by giving his son. And the Bible says we're to be like him. Secondly, the Magi visited some time after. We don't know how long after. Could have been as much as two years after Jesus was born. But when they did arrive, they first offered him their worship, to worship a toddler. And then they offered him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We learned that gold was a gift that you give a king, but it's also a reminder that we as people should be generous. God is generous. The Magi were generous. We ought to be generous. Number four, the gift of frankincense was a gift to show that Jesus was both a priest and God. That second verse, king and God and sacrifice, remember? So that's gold and frankincense and now the sacrifice, myrrh. The gift of myrrh was given to someone who was destined to die. And we learned through the Old Testament a number of things I had never even considered or studied before with myrrh, but it amazed me that myrrh was often associated with a gift that was sacrificial, a sacrificial death. And of course, that's Jesus' death. Now, what I'd like to read to you today is the rest of the story. Oftentimes, we read about the Magi and their gifts, and then Christmas is over and we forget them. In typical evangelical churches, we don't follow the the famous, you know, world church calendar that would have, you know, epiphany coming this week. So we kind of miss that. So let's today look at the rest of the story. I'll, I'll read, you follow along. After they had heard the king, they, the magi, went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. 
Now that part you know well. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are now dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Now that's the part we often don't read. So what do we learn from the Magi? Again, very simple today. I want to give you four thoughts. What do we learn from the Magi? What do we learn from Joseph that might help us kind of pinpoint the area of growth we need for 2023. So let's start with the first area is one that I think you just can't miss when you read this story. These wise men were joyful. And my suggestion is for some of us that uh, maybe we just need to learn to be a little more like this. Now, Unfortunately, in the NIV, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And overjoyed is an overused word, in my opinion, because it, it doesn't really capture what the Greek text says. Let me take you to the Young's translation. And having seen the star, they rejoiced, Cairo, past tense, with exceeding great joy, Cairo. It's the same word. It's like you saying, turning in a paper to your English teacher that says, and they were joyfully joyful. Your teacher would say, well, don't use the same word to modify itself. That's not the way you do it. In Greek it is. In Hebrew it is. It's the way you really say they were really, really, really joyful. They were, I mean, they were beside themselves with joy. Jesus once said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. So he gave you his joy so that then beside his joy, your joy could be complete or full and so, as a Christian, because of Christ, we should always have joy. Let me show you where. Number one, you can find joy in victory. In fact, most of us do. When things are going well, when we are victorious, the 72 returned to Jesus and said, even the demons submit to us. Yes! They were filled with joy. Victory does that to us. Some of you are really happy about yesterday's football games, and some of you not so much. Some of you know that joy. Now, I do want to remind you that joy and happiness are not really the same thing. Joy can be there when happiness isn't. In fact, let me show you. You can find joy in the midst of fear. When you're very afraid, the women who were at the tomb hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. You see, in the midst of your fear, you can... You can have joy because you know that even in fear that God is in control. So you have a sense of joy. Or you can find joy in a moment of doubt. When you're wondering if you're on the right track, if God is really leading you, you can, you can have joy. And while they still did not believe, these are the disciples who saw Jesus after the resurrection, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. In other words, they were wanting to believe it. There was a sense of joy in them, that, like, could it be real? 
but they were still not believing. So as a Christian, you often know that you're wondering, am I in the right place? Is it the right time? But even then, you can know joy. Thirdly, or fourthly, I guess, you can find joy in the trials and difficulties that you face. And this is when most of us don't. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And that's when most of us kind of throw our joy out the window. But I want you to know that one of the things about trials is you know they come to an end at some point. And there's joy even in that because that trial will make you a better person. In fact, let me show you. This didn't make Jesus a better person, but this is an example of what I'm talking about. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because the sorrow, the trial, the difficulty, the death was going to be worth everything. So it was joy with joy that he went to the cross. We will face difficulties in the coming year. Keep in mind they are temporary and you can even have joy as a Christian in the midst of great difficulties. And then lastly, that was lastly, you can find joy in trials and difficulties. Okay, now secondly in the whole study of four things we wanna learn from Magi, they were worshipful, they worshiped him, and that's what I want you to see. When coming to the house, they worshiped him. Now, I've said this multiple times to you. I, I can't imagine going into someone's home who has a one-year-old or an 18-month-old child kind of, you know, toddling around the house, not really even able to walk well yet, but trying. And three men who were known to be like the most esteemed men on earth, falling on their faces. And by the way, there may, as we've talked, been many more than three of them. Falling on their faces, proskuneo, we learned that word, that they could worship a child. Who worships a child? Only those who believe that he was king and God and sacrifice. You see, they understood even at that age now, when we talk about worshipful, there's just a couple things I want to note here. Number one, they didn't worship the star. And today, that's what would happen with many people. They'd see the star, they'd write a book, they'd go on all the TV shows about seeing this famous star. This star was seen once, and these guys got to see it. They were the special guys. They didn't seem to worship the star, but they were overjoyed when they saw it because they knew what it meant. Secondly, and I don't mean to be divisive by saying this, but I need to say it, they didn't worship his mother. And I find this fascinating right here, the way it's written. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. His mother, you can't say it any more clearly than that, and they bowed down and worshiped him. You know, it's interesting. Matthew could have said, and they bowed down and worshiped. And people might have wondered what all they worshiped. So Matthew made it clear they worshiped him. There are people who worship famous people. Even recently, I was in a situation where a brother of a famous person was in a particular place and people were asking for his autograph just because he was related to the famous person. And I think, why would you want his autograph? But that's what people do sometimes. And then thirdly, they didn't worship the moment. And that's what we do today. We often worship the moment. I, I think of times I went to camps 
or concerts or events, and I just felt so moved by them, so blessed by them. I think years ago of something that some of you were part of too, called praise gathering, and how you'd go to that and how blessed I felt. And sometimes it wasn't Christ I was worshiping, it was the moment I was worshiping. And I wanted to go back instead of to Christ, I wanted to go back to the moment. This is a little aside, but this is something that I find so frustrating. If you watch a little, say, football on TV this afternoon, you'll see someone who will make a great play, and after they get up, they'll make all kinds of, you know, motions and actions and so forth. And really, I want you to note, all they did was their job description, right? That's all they did, just what they were hired to do. But they will dance around. I mean, it's like a plumber installing a toilet in your house and then dancing or... <laughs> Or, or a teacher finishing a class and then dancing. You know, it's, it's, it's what we're called to do, but some people worship the moment. Not these guys. They worshiped him. Number three, they were generous. And that generosity flowed from their worship. Now, it's wonderful when people who are not Christians give. I'll talk about that in a second. But when Christian give, Christians give, it flows out of worship. When coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. It flowed out of who they were because of who they had just worshiped. Now, as I said, giving generously as an unbeliever indicates kindness and charity, and it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Some of you know people who are not Christians, and they give so much, and you're so impressed with them, and should be. Some people give generously to charities. In fact, give great sums of money. What a blessing for that. But I, I guess the sad thing to me is that's where it ends. They give it and that's all it is for them. But for Christians, it means the same thing. We still have the same qualities, but we are giving as Christians because there's a greater priority. We worship Christ and we want to see his kingdom advanced. And by the way, when we give, it doesn't end there, but it it goes on to heaven. It's a blessing to us. And some of you will say, well, we shouldn't give because we get back. No, motive is always important. But if you ignore it, you're ignoring scriptures because the scriptures say, seek for his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.20, I read to you two weeks ago, says that if you send your treasures to heaven, they'll be waiting for you. So it's a principle of scripture. You don't give for that reason, but it's a reminder that your giving as a Christian is eternal, has eternal value. Number four, they were obedient. Now I wanna show you that the Magi were obedient. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the he in the very first word there is Herod. That's Herod the Great. Let me tell you about Herod the Great. His favorite wife he had beheaded. He had many wives, but he had his favorite one beheaded. Three of his sons he had put to death. His mother's brother, his mother's parents, he executed all of them. In fact, Caesar, the Caesar of that day once said it would be safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. He was an awful man. And now this man tells you, as soon as you find him, you come back and tell me. And instead they go the other way because they, they obey God. You know, that was dangerous. I imagine as they rode away on their camels or whatever it is they were riding, 
They kept looking back over their shoulders, wondering, am I going to get caught? Is Herod going to find out? And will he put us to death too? But they were obedient. I want to show you Joseph in the story. Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 already has one dream. But in chapter 2, he has a dream where an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, get up. And then in chapter 19, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. I think if I'd have been Joseph, I wouldn't want to go to bed at night, you know, because it's like, wow, I'm going to get wakened by an angel again. But you know, each time it happened, Joseph just got up immediately and did what God said. Two thoughts on it. Number one, obedience is easy when there, is, when there are no repercussions. If you're with a bunch of Christians and everybody's doing the right thing, everybody's obeying God, it's easy to obey God. And many of you are good at that. But sometimes when the going gets rough, right? Obedience in the face of rejection. When you obey God and you know you'll lose friends over it. Or obedience in the face of persecution. Boy, that's tough. But this is the kind of obedience that the Lord requires. Not easy obedience, but difficult obedience. This past year, I bought an iPad. And Apple, when you buy an iPad, gives you free engraving on the back of it. Now, I didn't know what I'd put on it. I thought about it. I don't want my name on it. I don't want my phone number on it, you know. I didn't know what I wanted. I thought about it for days before I ordered the thing. And then it finally dawned on me, I know what I want on my iPad. If anybody ever found it, what I'd want is just six words. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Because this is what the Lord requires of you. And that's all obedience. And so that's what's engraved on the back of my iPad because no matter the situation, I want to be obedient. And it's a small little reminder. Okay. That's the study of Magi, We Three Kings, and I'll close with just letting you consider. Now, many of you have already chosen your word or your theme or your verse for 2023, but if you haven't, if you had to pick from one of these four, is there one of those that you say, if I pick that, by the way, don't pick all four, none of us can do that. But if there's one that you picked that could help you really step up your game as a follower of Christ this year, which one would it be? And what would the system be that you would build in to make that happen? I'm going to give you a minute or so to think about it. Our Father, as we enter into this new year, our prayer is that we could be as much like your son Jesus as possible. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to sense the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We have his fullness. Father, help us to recognize it and to follow. And Father, give us great joy as we follow the one who died for us, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.